0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Father, we come to another word from your word that is much different than the, the place and the time that we live in today in our world. We just pray for eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of being distinctly Christian in these verses for the good of your people and the glory of your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last two weeks, uh, we've seen in these texts in First Peter how those who are elect exiles and sojourners waiting for our true home or to have this posture of submission to the authorities. We've seen it with governments and with masters, this posture of submission that would be eager to submit while at the same time doing good as God defines good. In other words, we, we submit not because these earthly authorities have ultimate authority over us, we submit because our king tells us to have a posture of submission as long as they don't ask us to sin. And what that does as Christians is that when we come to that moment where doing good means we must resist the authorities, it actually looks like we're doing that because of Jesus, not just because we're an angry people who always want to get our way. We're called to doing good as God defines it, which means there will be times to resist if we believe we're being asked to sin. So in this text, we're going to see a similar pattern addressed to wives. They're called likewise to submit, and later on in the passage, to do good. These same words keep showing up, even if they're living with an unbelieving husband. What we'll see today is a call to beautiful humble, courageous womanhood that fills a home and marriage with beautiful conduct that shows the beauty of her king and her hope in him. And then at the very end, as Peter remembers to address Christian husbands, we see this call for husbands to show the compassionate care of God to their wives. In other words, what we're going to see is marriage that points to the beauty of Christ in his church. Husbands meant to show self-giving servant leadership of Christ and wives meant to show glad submission to Christ of the church. Before we dive into the text, I'm gonna give three just general notes that I think will be helpful as we orient ourselves around this text. Number one, if you're not married, don't check out. Don't, don't leave me, don't, uh, fall asleep on me. Rather, if you're a woman, there's all sorts of beauty in this passage about what it means to be a distinctly Christian woman, even if you aren't yet married. For you younger women out there, I'd encourage you to find women like this and just plead with them to mentor you. Get in a small group or a Titus 2 group or friend them on Facebook. Or if they're not on Facebook, you may have found someone even better and ask them, hey, would you you mentor me? Would you build into me? I see this in your life and I want to be more like Jesus and follow you as you follow Christ. Or if you're a man that's not married, There's all sorts of beauty in this passage about how to be a distinctly Christian man who engages in relationships with godly strength even if you're not married. So if you're a younger guy, get around men like this. Get around people like this and ask them to pour into you. So don't check out if you're not married. Number two, I'm just going to say this up front. I'm not going to go there again. But notice that these calls upon men and women are not conditional on each other. So so here's what I mean. In other words, the wife is not called to submit only if her husband is knocking it out of the park. That's That's a hard word. But a wife is not, in this passage, called to submit only if her husband is knocking it out of the park. And the husband is not called to lead with care only if his wife is doing all of Proverbs 31. Right? Sometimes we want to make these things conditional upon each other and they're just Not in this passage. Neither spouse should get in the car or turn off the live stream and start asking the other one when they're going to start doing what Pastor Dave talked about. Don't use me that way. (laughs) Number three, notice that these commands are needed, again, because the theme of 1 Peter is that this place we live in is not our home and it's broken. This place is broken that we live in, this world is broken. You would think if you could feel at home anywhere, it would be in your actual home, but Peter is making the case that even your home is not your home. You're still not home. Your home is with Jesus. In fact, the culture we live in will not naturally call women to this kind of beauty or men to this kind of strength. It just won't, and we're saturated in it. It teaches men, our culture teaches men to use women And our culture teaches women to resent and hate men. You're just not going to find that in the Bible. Those things are everywhere in our culture. Our culture breeds brokenness. That's why this word is here. It's not here because Peter expects everything to be perfect. And so here's my encouragement to you. If the brokenness is bad, like you feel like you're drowning this morning, you're coming here just just scared to even hear what's here in this passage because you just feel like you're drowning, would you please get help? I'm just going to say that. Just get help. Reach out and get help. If, if pornography is destroying your home and numbing your heart, reach out and get help. You can't obey the commands in this text as a husband with your soul numbed by pornography. Or or if you're a wife and you just can't stop feeling bitter and angry towards your husband, that's just the the constant theme in your mind. Would you reach out and get help? You, You can't obey the commands of this text with a soul full of boiling anger and anxiety and resentment. So we should expect brokenness. And we should get help from our small groups and our tightest two groups and our men's groups. If it's getting serious, reach out for counseling. Everyone has to do counseling at some point in their lives. Just reach out and get help. Brokenness is normal. These commands are meant to shape and heal and get inside our souls and help. If abuse is happening In your marriage, call upon the church and the governing authorities to do their job that we saw earlier in chapter 2 to praise what is good and punish what is evil and come alongside and help. The main theme of this text, again, is going to be that we're not yet home. We're not yet home. So instead of hiding because you think everyone else around you is doing awesome, because they put like their best vacations and their best family pictures and stuff on Facebook and you see all those and you go, man, but I, I yell at my kids and I get frustrated with my husband. Don't hide because you think everyone else is doing awesome. Instead, come out of hiding and get help so that we as a church can walk in new, beautiful conduct that makes much of our king together. So don't check out if you're not married. Expect brokenness and and, and get help if you need help. So let's dive into the text. Let's look at verses 1 to 2 first. I titled this little section, What a Wife Should Wear. And you're going to see this word repeated over and over again, adorn, adorn. So verses 1 to 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful in pure conduct. So again, we see a posture of submission, a heart disposition of submission. So notice a few things from these first two verses. Number one, the woman submits to her own husband, not all men. In other words, the Bible doesn't teach that all women submit to all men. That's nowhere in the Bible. It said so this wife submits to her own husband. This is a particular marriage relationships. Number two, this husband is an unbeliever. Remember in chapter one, it says, we're born again to the living and abiding word and that this word was the good news that was preached to you. Back in verse, or chapter one, verses 20 to 23, which means if he disobeys the word, he's rejecting the gospel. He's an unbeliever, which tells us this marriage is not going to be an easy one, especially in a time where wives were simply expected to go along with whatever their husband decided for all things in the home, especially which gods to worship. Number three, the call is not leave him because your king is not his king. Instead, notice the call and the purpose is stay and fill your home with beautiful conduct to show him the beauty of your king so that he might be saved. This is a high and beautiful calling requiring a strong courageous woman this kind of call of self-giving courageous love flies in the face of our culture today that says if he's not doing things you like to do if he doesn't share your hobbies if he doesn't really like to do what you do if he's not nice if he watches too many sports get out it's not the call here in first peter and then finally Again, like we've seen in all these passages, notice where the ultimate submission is. Do you see the word here, respectful? It's that same word for fear that we keep seeing in these passages. In other words, these women don't tremble before their husbands. They tremble before God and they conduct themselves with a holy purity that shows their submission ultimately to King Jesus. Again, he's the ultimate authority they submit to. Here we have a woman trembling before her king with a posture of submission to an unbelieving husband seeking to fill her home with pure conduct that might show her husband that the word of the gospel is true and real and beautiful and really does transform. So we have in verses 1 to 2. So then... Peter would ask and then answer for us, how should a woman trembling before God carry herself in her life, in her home that she finds herself in? Look at verse 3. It says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Sometimes we can think that we're in a a unique sexual culture where we have this surface level valuing valuing of people, but as you study history, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, this kind of sexual brokenness and perversion was everywhere in these kinds of societies as well. Our culture is right there with them, every advertisement, most popular actors and musicians, and the ease of pornography teaches us as a whole, teaches us as a whole, men and women, to value women on external appearance. I mean, it's in every advertisement. It's in every big movie. It's in in everything you see. It is the air that we breathe. Therefore, it is easy for women to find their identity in external appearance. It's Just easy. It's what the culture says we should do. It's where the culture says we should go. Now the wrong way to take this text would be to think that everyone that did their hair and wore their jewelry to church this morning is sinning, and everyone who stayed home in their jammies who's watching the live stream right now is holy. Right, that's, that's not what this text is saying. Peter is not condemning particular things. How do I know he's not? Because he talks about wearing clothing. And I don't think Peter would say that women should never wear clothing. In other words, he's not saying it's wrong to give any attention to taking care of your body or having a certain style. In fact, those things are good. They make you uniquely you. It's good to take care of your body. Instead, he's talking about where you find your identity and where you think about true beauty. And before you just stop and move on, just encourage you in this room, in this moment, when you think about beauty we think about that when you think about attractiveness in this culture we live in does your mind initially run to holiness to godliness to strong women who hope in God is that what your mind initially thinks about or is it thinking about other things I saw and heard lots of conversations among women during these COVID shutdowns about various places not being open and the anxiety it was causing. Right? Whereas I saw Nathan Metcalf on Facebook simply solve it by shaving his head. Right? Our, Our culture lifts up different things for men and women, and therefore we begin to find our identity. In these different places, the world presses on women to find identity in external beauty. How many filters are there on Instagram or in your phone or for pictures? That changes or should change. We should start to reorient our thinking when we come to know Christ. Outward beauty is no substitute for the kind of inward beauty necessary to be a courageous Christian woman and perhaps you're thinking well I don't struggle with outward jewelry or makeup or any of that but perhaps for you it's it's your house looking a certain way, certain appearance to keep up or it's the, the certain vehicle that you have to drive or perhaps you just struggle deep in your heart when you really admit it with comparison she has this and she's doing that and she looks like this Peter is saying this is a matter of priority Is more time spent maintaining outward appearances or developing the inward strength of your soul? The world wants you to compare and give your life to external beauty and make you feel your worth if a man recognizes that. I'm just telling you, that's that's no way to live. It's not what you want to put on. So what should a woman do? Where, look at verse 4, it says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. A Christian woman should seek after an inner beauty as long-lasting as the inheritance that is coming her way. That's the last time we saw the word imperishable. An imperishable inheritance. A woman should cultivate her heart to have the imperishable beauty of a gentleness and a quiet spirit. The idea of gentleness is, is a meekness. Meekness is a humble strength that seeks the good of others with gentleness. A, a humble strength, looking around. How do I do good to others? I don't need to seek my own. I don't need to compare. There's a, a humility that just says, like, how do I serve? How do I love? What's the Lord calling me to next? Do you find in yourself a gentle, humble person eager to do good to others? And do you find a a quiet spirit in yourself? It has nothing to do with the volume of your voice or how much you speak. Instead, think of a quiet sea. It's still and it's at rest. This has to do with the tranquility of your soul. Is your soul generally a raging storm so that you find yourself lashing out, anxious, angry, frustrated? Perhaps your soul is raging so you take it out on people around you. You can't be gentle because your heart is always boiling with anxiety and anger so you always lash out desperately looking to control things and get your way. Or is your soul... At rest in Jesus is their tranquility of soul, so that you can be gentle and meek. Instead of worrying about outward appearances that get noticed by others, women who are Christians are called to this gentleness and tranquility of heart that gets noticed by God. Do you see that? It says it's precious in God's sight. Who sees you? Who sees this beauty? God does. In other words, Peter is saying don't live for the external approval of the world. Live for the pleasure of God. Proverbs 31.30 would sum up this kind of disposition in a woman this way. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's so what we're after, a woman who fears the Lord and casts out other fears. But how do you, how do you get there? Maybe right now you're realizing, yeah, I, I, I do feel all of those things, and I am a raging storm in my heart. I am filled with anxiety and fear and frustration. I don't know how to get there. My life is filled with pain and fear. My husband really does do stupid things sometimes, Dave. And life is so fast-paced that I can't even take a breath. You, you won't solve that. You won't find true happiness by a little bit more time getting ready or by a house that's just so or by that vehicle. Look at verses 5 to 6. How do you get there? It says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Here Peter points to Sarah as an example of a holy woman who submitted to her husband kind of as a specific example of a general principle probably because Abraham was kind of the the father of the Jews so he knows that they're going to know about her. The only place Sarah actually refers to Abraham as Lord that we see in the Bible is in Genesis 18. And frankly, it's a pretty unimpressive thing to go study. <laughs> she, she actually says this in a little offhand comment when she's actually talking about how he's too old for them to have a baby. And so you could look there and go, what, what is, what's that all about? And, and here's what several commentators say that I, I think this is where I lean right now is that even in this situation where She could have kind of shamed Abraham for his age, like he's too old to ever do that. Instead, she said, my Lord, even in her her casual conversations, she shows a disposition of submission and respect towards him, even in casual conversations where she could shame him. So the question is, how can you have a gentleness and tranquility of heart that shows up everywhere in your life that leads to a posture of submission like that, even in casual conversations. Even when you're not thinking about it, this this heart comes out. And Peter's answer is hope in God so that you don't fear anything frightening. And just to be clear, it could have been a fearful thing to be a wife in this particular culture who had an unbelieving husband. Like I said, a wife was supposed to just go along with the husband in all things in the home, especially in religion. Remember that there were all these Roman gods that they were supposed to worship. To not worship with him would have made problems and could have brought shame to the family. Like if someone found out like, your wife leaves your home under your headship and she goes and worships other gods, do you not have control of your home? Are you not lord of your home? And that, if brought enough shame, could have led to him wanting to put her out of the house. Could have led to her being without provision in that culture and even separated from children. This is not easy. This is not an easy text again. How do you have gentleness and tranquility of heart in that kind of situation? Well, Peter's answer is simple. Hope in God. Submit to God. Trust God. God, live for God. Know that Christ is a perfect husband and God is a perfect father with his eyes always on you. How do you not fear anything that is frightening? Hope in God, right? We'll keep coming back here in 1 Peter. Who are you? Where is your home? What is your identity? Peter will not relent on this point. Who are you? Where is your home? What is your identity? If you're a woman sitting in this room, it's not in anything external. It's in Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the point of this text. Your home and your identity are found only in Jesus. The home and husband's can become one of the primary idols of a woman's heart, of a wife's heart. If you need your earthly home or husband to be all that Jesus is meant to be for you, you'll never have peace. Say it one more time. If you need your earthly home or your husband to be all that Jesus is meant to be for you, you'll never have peace. Peace. You'll never be gentle because no home or husband can keep you from frightening things. Husband can't. No home or husband can be what Jesus is meant to be for you. It's not a meant he's weight to bear. It's not a, a weight he can bear. He's a, he's a horrible God. Matt Chandler often says this. He says, Man, wives and husbands are great gifts from the Lord, but they make terrible gods. They can't be all that you need them to be for you. Proverbs 31, 25 sums up this idea of a woman who hopes in God and doesn't fear anything frightening. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing. You hear those words again. And she laughs at the time to come. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. Where does this dignity come? and strength come from how can she laugh at the future instead of tremble before it because she hopes in god right she fears him above all she knows this is all temporary and simply wants to fill this place with the beauty of her king we need strong women that remember that you've been born again to a living hope with an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance with a Father who's always watching and a heart that, come what may, is settled in Jesus Christ alone. Your husband is a gift when he's following Jesus, but he will never be Jesus for you. Your home here on earth is not your ultimate home. Wives and women, adorn yourselves with gentleness and tranquility of heart that grows up from deep roots that hope in God, fear him so that it can cast out all other fears. That is what Peter is saying. Number two, how a husband should care. Notice, it's really interesting, Peter doesn't address government officials. Peter doesn't even address masters in this book. But it's as if he gets done talking about the women and then goes, oh yeah, I've got a lot of Christian husbands, though, and I better get after them. I better make sure they understand that they're a part of this godliness in their homes. And so he here, for the first time, addresses those who are in authority. It's a word that we need to hear as men. Here's what it says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So first, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. This literally means live with them according to knowledge. This is a soul-level knowledge. In premarital counseling, I often tell husbands that their calling is to make their wife their homework. Make your wife your homework. Your your daily work, your daily privilege is to get to know your wife. Know her inside and out. What are her fears? What are her joys? Where is she struggling to believe the gospel? Where is she struggling to see Christ? Husbands, take the time to know your wives. Take the time to know your wives. This is the calling of your life. This is the highest calling of your life. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your hobbies. Sometimes your wife is afraid and angry and anxious because she just doesn't think you care. She doesn't know what to do with herself. Do you want to make life less fearful for her? Be a man that she knows cares about her soul, her dreams, her fears, her joys, her gifts, her struggles. It's the first call on men and it's a discipline. When you get home from a long day, when you get home and you've been trained probably by tons of men in your life to get home and put your feet up and watch TV, engage your wife, love your wife, know your wife, Second, show her honor. Why? Well, there's two reasons given here. and Here's where we see complementarity on display. There's two reasons for this honor. First, she's the weaker vessel. This most likely is referring to physical weakness. She's just not as strong as you know. Oftentimes, in the good old boys' clubs, that men joke about how our wives are so emotional and so weak. Let's just remember that normally they're crying or upset over a friend who's struggling or this horrible thing that happened while you scream at your TV about football. There's all sorts of emotional brokenness, right? Men are emotional about certain things. Let's not go there for weakness. This is a physical weakness. In other words, it's a scary thing for a woman to submit to a man who is bigger and stronger if he's dishonoring and harsh and angry or abusive with his words. Instead, weaker vessel can have the idea of a kind of a precious vase. As you seek to know your wife, do you handle her soul with that kind of care? Like it's precious to you. Like she's precious to you, like she matters to you. Do you seek to live with her in a way that your physical strength would feel like a refuge to her and not a threat? Like when your wife thinks about how you handle her soul and how you seek to know her and she realizes you're bigger and stronger, do you feel like a refuge or like a threat? Second, she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's a child of God. She's going to inherit the world with you. You don't want to be found treating what God calls precious as if it's unimportant. That's the, the clear meaning here. You don't want to be found treating God's daughter harshly, rulely, or using your God-given strength to abuse his precious daughter. What is Peter after here? He, he's saying, listen, it can be a scary thing to submit to a guy who is harsh and angry. It can be a lonely thing to submit to a guy who would rather watch Sports Center or scroll Facebook or watch the stock market or live in politics or just do his hobbies than to know her soul. It can be an anxious thing to submit to a guy who doesn't take initiative to lead the family towards Jesus who always seems apathetic about everything. Perhaps a man caught up in an addiction he won't get help for. Peter is saying to Christian husbands, make this submission an easy, joyful thing. Make this sweet to your wife. Tend to her soul. Handle her with care. Make your strength a refuge. Treat her with honor and help her flourish as a fellow heir of God's grace. And if you're wondering, like, how serious does God really take this? Like, how, how soon do I have to start doing this? He says... If you will not do this, your prayers will be hindered. So I've said in, in marriage counseling sometimes when there's, there's obvious harshness, obvious anger issues, and, and the man might say to me, well, I should, I should pray about those things. And I often say, I don't think he's going to hear you. You should just start being kind to your wife. There's no prayer necessary for this. You know what you need to do. You know how you need to love her. You know how you need to care. And he's not going to listen until you start walking that way anyways. How serious does God take these husbands with God-given authority, leaning in to love their wives this way? If you don't, your prayers will be hindered. So husbands, if you feel your failure in this, like I feel my failure in this sometimes, The answer is not guilty, shame-ridden, pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps. The answer is you take this to the cross and you repent. You ask for forgiveness from God and then when you get in the car or you turn off the live stream, you go to your wife and you say, I'm sorry. I'm going to fail over and over again but I want to do better. I want to honor Jesus. I want to honor you. I want to know you and I need your help. So, application, living and longing for home at home. You'll notice I haven't talked at all about which household tasks should belong to each spouse. Instead, I'm talking about a a complementary partnership that seeks to live out these dispositions of the soul in a way that shows forth the beauty of how Christ tends to his bride, how the church, therefore, can gladly submit to his self giving leadership. I don't really care about who does what. It's just, it's just not in the New Testament anywhere. I care about men that tend to their wives' souls and treat them with honor so they flourish in their unique identity in Christ. And I care about strong women that wear gentleness and tranquility of soul as their clothing because they hope in God above all things and they laugh at the future. And in all of these things, we have to remember Lest we be consumed right in the, in the forest, in the trees and forget the forest, we need to remember that we're living and longing for a true home while in our homes. We're still longing for heaven. This is not our home. We live in our homes towards each other and as families in a way that shows our ultimate hope is not in our homes. Our ultimate hope is Jesus Christ. Our ultimate home is in his presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures for any forevermore. We long for women at this church whose hope is in Jesus and not their husbands so that they can submit to their husbands and help their husbands hope in Jesus. We long for men whose hope is in Jesus and not their wives so that they can lead their families towards courageously following Jesus and help their wives adorn themselves with this inner beauty. We long for marriages like this because marriages like this will be on mission in their neighborhoods longing for opportunities to partner with each other as fellow heirs of the grace of life for the sake of Jesus. What we're looking for is husbands and wives, men and women that relate to each other with beautiful conduct that fills the home with the beautiful aroma of King Jesus in such a way that it just starts to overflow as they use their gifts in the church and they partner to pray for and reach out to their neighborhoods. Like that, that's the ultimate goal. This is such a sweet thing that it starts to overflow and you don't just do life together and just manage your problems together but you begin to think and dream about making much of Jesus together. Living on mission for him together. Homes that are full of happiness and hope because their ultimate hope is in Jesus together and their lives meant to make much of him. Homes where we're living for the glory of our king and longing for the day when he returns and makes all things new. And until then, this picture we just saw is meant to remind us that we are all the bride of Christ together waiting for our groom, seeking to fill the places he's placed us with his beauty in our conduct and praying it will bring him glory while we wait where he's placed us. Let's pray. So Father, we're about to come to the table now and eat and drink with you. And so this is a a sweet moment to be reminded that we cannot do any of this on our own and there will be failure after failure after failure. And when we fail... The mark of maturity is not to try to clean ourselves up or pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but to quickly come to you and confess our sins. Repent and ask for your forgiveness. And then as we ask for your forgiveness, to go and and seek the forgiveness of others where it's necessary. So in this room right now, I'm praying for a strong, sweet conviction of where we have misplaced our priorities, of where we have fallen short in marriages, but also just as as men and women who want to live in distinctly Christian ways, would you grant repentance and would it be a sweet thing in this moment for you to do a healing work in marriages? A healing work in our souls where we have sought external, outward approval instead of approval in your sight. Where we've lorded our authority over our wives instead of lived with them in an understanding way father be among us now by your spirit we pray all this in jesus name amen thank you for listening to this message from bethlehem baptist church in minneapolis minnesota feel free to make copies of this message to give to others